There are no bad ideas. The bad ideas just morph into great ideas, right? And the moment before something's a breakthrough, it's a crazy idea. So the more that you can play on that in your business with your team, like people are craving it. Kansas Nelson is a wildly successful entrepreneurista known for co-founding Sprinkles, the world's first cupcake bakery and ATM, and most recently, Pizzana, a fast-growing chain of award-winning Neapolitan pizzerias. She continues to expand her portfolio of investments with CN2 Ventures, a family office and venture studio, which invests in early-stage consumer companies. And you may recognize her as a judge on over 100 episodes of Cupcake Wars. Candace is also a New York Times bestselling author of The Sprinkles Baking Book, and she is now sharing the secrets to her success in her latest book, Sweet Success. Coming up, the simple business principle that Candace used when starting Sprinkles. Why perseverance makes all the difference in chasing your dreams. How to use customer experience to create a premium product and finally, you'll learn the importance of building a network and community when starting your business. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. Candice, we are so excited to sit down and have this conversation with you today. You are a serial entrepreneurista and also the author of a new book, Sweet Success, which we're really excited to dig into and chat all about why you decided to write this book. But before we get into that, I would love to hear, did you always know growing up that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Oh, God, no. My dad was a corporate lawyer. <laughs> I came from the most risk-averse household there is. I had heard tales of my great-grandmother who passed before I was born, running as a single mom restaurants in San Francisco during the Depression years. So I had an inkling that maybe there was a gene or two that had been passed on to me when I found myself you know, frustrated in the corporate world. That's kind of what I took solace in, but no, there, there was no model for entrepreneurship in my life, maybe except for those memories and stories of my great grandmother. And then the first time I ate a Mrs. Fields cookie, that kind of opened my eyes to the magic that a female entrepreneur can create. What was your background prior to starting Sprinkles? So in my family, education was everything. So that's where we began. And that's seemingly where I thought it would end. I went to a very academic boarding school. I went to a liberal arts college. Then I was recruited out of school to go work for an investment bank in San Francisco, working in corporate finance with technology companies. It was the height of the dot-com boom. And so then I went after my analyst program, I went to work at an internet startup and I was just sort of marching my way up the, you know, corporate ladder and had imaginings of going to business school and then continuing on my path. And it all seemed very logical and predictable. And then two things happened. 
first was the dot-com bust happened. So I was out on my butt and without any prospects and looking around like, wait a second, how did that happen? Because I had been doing everything quote unquote right. And then the second thing that happened a few months later was 9-11. I had literally just gotten married. I took a few months off. I was like, I'm engaged. I'm just going to plan my wedding apply to business school after the honeymoon. And my husband and I just had two blissful weeks in the south of France. We'd eaten our way through the country and we were sitting in the airport on the way home. And all of a sudden, you know, there was just this commotion around the TV screens. And of course the news was all in French, so I couldn't understand it, but that ended up being 9-11. And mm. it took me two weeks to get back home to the States because I would not get on a plane. And so many planes were grounded anyway. But by the time I got back, I had had a good amount of opportunity to really actually think about what I wanted to do. And faced with the idea that it could all end tomorrow, right, that really sort of brings clarity to any situation, if nothing is sort of guaranteed or secure. And so I asked myself for the first time ever what it was I really wanted to do. And the answer was not go to business school. It was not to crunch numbers. And I had always had a passion for baking. I grew up baking with my mom. It was actually really a foundational part of my childhood because I grew up overseas a lot of my life. And so that was sort of my connection to my homeland. I would, I would bake with my mom when I was homesick. And working in San Francisco, of course, was exposed to all the best restaurants at all of our closing dinners and things like that. And so I decided I wanted to do something that brought me joy and injected just a little bit of meaning back into the world. So instead of going to business school, kind of on a lark, I went to pastry school. <laughs> wow. That is such an incredible story. And I actually read the beginning of your book. So I knew I knew some of the things you were, were going to share coming up and, and a little bit about those details. I would love for you to share more about that decision to go to pastry school. So here you are now, newly married. You have this brand new idea. How did you figure out, you know, what school to go to, what you were going to do, and how did that lead to you eventually starting Sprinkles? Well... I had an inkling, but I didn't have an idea yet. So I did not know that I wanted to necessarily open a bakery. I just knew that I had this urge to work with my hands. You know, I'd been crunching mm. numbers and sitting at a computer and I just wanted to do something that was like simple and grounding and tangible, if that makes sense. And so I thought, okay, I love to bake on the weekends, but who's to say I love to do it as a job? Not every passion can translate into work. Because when you have to get up and do it every day, sometimes some of the joy comes out of it. So I said, I'm going to test my interest in baking. I'm going to apply to this pastry school. It was a sweet little pastry school called Tante Marie's, not far from my house. And there was a little organic garden in the back and, you know, the smell of bread and coffee baking every day. And it just fed my soul in mm -hmm. such a meaningful way. And I loved getting up every morning and putting my chef whites on and working with all those delicious ingredients and making something tangible that I could give to someone and watch them enjoy. But I had no idea what was going to happen at the end of the pastry program. I was like, I'm having fun. I'm being in the moment, but oh God, what's next? So what ended up happening by the end of the pastry program? <laughs> right? Is it a cliffhanger? So I obviously had this business. I was really having fun playing with the creative part of my brain. But there was obviously this business side that had gotten me to investment banking and business development in the internet world in the first place. And I couldn't deny that. 
So after pastry school, I set out to just start a little cake business out of my house. I was working on like very special occasion cakes. So either character cakes or, you know, multi-tiered, lots of decorations. There was a lot of emphasis on the decorative part of them. And what I realized was, you know, people don't order those types of cakes very often. So really wasn't a very good business, super labor intensive. I was losing money, not a good idea. And I realized, or I thought back to some great business advice I'd gotten in my past, which was if you want a solid business, you need to make something that people could conceivably buy every day. Mm. And when I had been planning my wedding, I noticed that there was sort of a new entrant on the scene, the, the wedding cake scene. And it was the Artful Cupcake Tower. You know, I had been nose deep in Martha Stewart Weddings magazines. And I noticed that, wow, these are so cool. These beautifully decorated cupcakes. And, you know, there's so much to love about a cupcake because you can take it to the dance floor. You don't need a fork and knife. Everyone gets their favorite flavor. And actually thought about how helpful it would have been to have, you know, festive cupcakes in the corporate world too, because we used to get cakes and everyone's looking for a fork and knife and inevitably someone didn't like the flavor. And I was like, oh, a cupcake is just so great. And then at the same time, as I was walking through the supermarket, I would see these shelf stable cupcakes, you know, stacked in plastic clamshells and they just were so sad and generic. And here's this uniquely American treat which I appreciated because I, you know, growing up overseas, I realized how American they were. Everyone had this nostalgia for cupcakes and yet they were being treated just like, you know, lunchbox fare. So that's when I had the aha moment to reinvent the cupcake. How long did it take you to come up with what sprinkles ultimately turned into? What was that process? So the first process was really developing an exceptional product. And I was really fortunate. My husband decided to join me in this crazy venture, this crazy cupcake venture. He had his MBA. He was telling his, you know, banker friends he was going to go in on my cupcake idea. And he got, as you can imagine, a lot of flack for that. But what one thing he said to me in the very beginning was, I'll join you, but only if these cupcakes are amazing. So I set to work in the kitchen, you know. The just, pressure. The pressure. <laughs> Baking all day long, you know, like my vanilla cupcake took weeks and Charles and I would sit around the dining room table, platters of cupcakes, our little notepads, and we'd take these, you know, detailed copious notes as if we were tasting wine or something. And then I'd go back to the kitchen and tweak and tweak and tweak again. So as I was developing these flavors and continuing to sell out of my kitchen, now in Los Angeles, we'd moved from San Francisco down to Los Angeles, we had you know, some time to work on the brand. And even when we were ready to actually start looking for a retail space, it took us forever to find one because we had no experience running a business before. Landlords don't like that. <laughs> and they definitely don't like an idea that's never been done before. So it took probably two over, just over two years between when I stopped making cakes and when we opened Sprinkles, maybe a little bit more. But um, during that time, we really developed the brand identity, really leaned into brand. I developed this very cult following, loyal, devoted following of customers who were picking up from my West Hollywood apartment and kind of just started this little organic buzz going. Was this pre-social media before yes. Facebook? Yes, yeah, this so was like when Facebook was 
So when I was working out of my kitchen in LA, it was 2004. And then we opened Sprinkles Beverly Hills in 2005. This was when Facebook yep. was literally for college kids. Right about to start. Yep. Yeah, we were, Courtney so, and I were one of the first users of, of Facebook when it first started and definitely remember those days and businesses were not on Facebook yet. So you were using like real word of mouth, pre-social media. <laughs> real word of mouth. By the way, still the holy grail of marketing. If you can get that Absolutely. free word of mouth, that organic marketing, like they say, do things that don't scale. Like one person who loves your product will tell all of their friends. And that is Absolutely. the advice that we trust more than anything, right? I mean, sure, now in these days of social media, sometimes that becomes an influencer that you love or a celebrity, sure. Celebrities always had power, but there's nothing like when you need a recommendation for something, you ask your girlfriends. Exactly. I mean, that is what we tell our clients all of the time. Influencer marketing is essentially word of mouth on, on steroids. I want to understand the how you picked the location and how you convinced a landlord to rent to you your first space. What are some tips you have for entrepreneurs starting a business where the barrier to entry seems undoable? Yeah, it definitely, there were moments when I thought, this is my dream and it might actually not happen. Like I remember breaking down in the car one day, it was like, we did actually go down the road on a few locations before Beverly Hills actually happened. But for one reason or another, each one of those like locations fell through. So I had landlords that wouldn't call me back. I had one landlord who hung up on me when he heard my idea. We had locations that were falling through our money. We bootstrapped sprinkles. And this was just Charles and I pulled our money from our, you know, short periods of time in the working world. And so our money was dwindling and it was scary. It was really scary. And I thought, okay, this is the moment in time where you either dig in, like where perseverance kicks in, or you say, mm, this just isn't meant to be. And God bless perseverance. I actually, the landlord who ultimately said yes to us initially had said no. So it's just such a good lesson and reminder to everyone out there, like even if you were to distill it down to emails, you know, when you send an email out asking for something you don't hear back, I used to never follow up. Do you know how often I don't see emails and I only see them on the next go around when people say just following up on this? Yeah. Like it is, don't tell yourself that story that it won't happen. Keep persevering. That's what separates the doers from the dreamers. That is so true. Keep going until you get that no or yes. And if you get the no, find out why and take it as a, as a learning lesson, right? Absolutely. I mean, yes, even the failures, especially the failures are where the lessons happen. That's where all the really good growth, gritty growth happens. And it hurts at the time. Like all those no's were painful, but my God, the sprinkles of Venice or mid-city LA would not have had the same trajectory as Sprinkles Beverly Hills. That 90210 zip code ended up being so important to us. And it sounds funny to say that we were bootstrapped and we were, you know, our bank account was dwindling and then we, you know, sprung on a sprung it all on a lease in Beverly Hills, but this was like a <laughs> dirty rundown sandwich shop, 600 square feet, not Rodeo Drive like what I call Rodeo Drive adjacent to make it sound fancier than it is. <laughs> And, and everyone was like, oh my God, nobody goes to that block in Beverly Hills. And we were like, well, 
We hope they will now. And hopefully they start coming. (laughs) We set about to transform that like rundown sandwich shop into this temple to cupcakes because in reinventing the cupcake and doing something different, I had to reinvent the entire experience. Like this was an upscale, aspirational, elegant cupcake. Those didn't, didn't exist in 2005. And so that had to translate to the experience from the moment you walked in the store. And so we reinvented everything from a traditional bakery case to just the feel of a bakery in general, like no doilies, sorry, you know, warm oak woods, beautiful European fixtures, like natural light, sort of more neutral colors, but with pops of color, as opposed to just leaning into the cutesiness of it all. And I was speaking with someone the other day, and this happened all the time, but he was recounting this story when he and his wife came to Beverly Hills and she was waiting in line. And he was like, well, this is obvious. There must be some bag in there that she wants, you know, or there, maybe there's, you know, hopefully not a jewelry store, but he couldn't figure out whether it was a clothing store boutique or a jewelry store. No inkling that it was a bakery. And that was exactly how we wanted it to be. That is so interesting. I definitely need to. I, I don't think I've been in one of your your bakeries, and now hearing you describe it, I I need to definitely go in and check it out because I am a lover of cupcakes. It's one of my guilty pleasures. Ooh, we are kindred spirits. Yes, yes. Stephanie and I also started our business without any prior background in the agency business. And we learned a lot along the way, especially in that first year. Can you share some other learning lessons within that first year with us? Well, I did learn that having a little experience might be helpful. I mean, certainly so much of the entrepreneur's journey is waking up every day and figuring it out, right? And even now as an experienced entrepreneur, I know that that's still what I do. Like just because you have experience doesn't mean that you're just running the same place, right? But probably would have been helpful to work at a bakery before I opened one. I did rely so much on someone that I would now call a mentor. We weren't really calling these people that at the time. But this woman, Karen, was a mom of a friend of mine here in LA. She had a tiny bakery on Pico and she, you know, didn't look at Charles, my husband and partner and I as competitive at all. We said we wanted to open this bakery and she was like, come on over. I'll, I'll tell you everything you need to know. And we'd go by and sit at her table and eat cookies and drink milk. And she would talk to us about what equipment and how to staff people and where to find and hire people. And that was invaluable. So I would say if you can get some experience to help you, you know, start a little, you know, not so behind the, what's the expression, the eight ball, if you can get some industry experience, it's always helpful. But second to that, obviously, is building a network of support and mentors and advisors who have been there before. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why we started our Entrepreneurs Elite community so we could bring all of these women founders together and have everyone connect and network and learn from each other's experience because there's nothing more impactful and helpful than having other women and other people, other business people who've done it before you learn from their experiences. It can definitely save a lot of time and money and heartache, I would say. Yeah. And just, by the way, thank you for what you do. It's such an incredible resource for for women out there. And I wish you had been around when I was beginning. But it's also sometimes just nice to know that you, you can ping someone and they'll just get it, 
right? I didn't necessarily have that community of other women founders and entrepreneurs. So, you know, obviously I had friends or, you know, family I could count on, but nobody really just got it. And that is so special, right? You don't have to explain yourself. You don't have to say, oh, well, this is my experience. It's like, no, I got you. I hear you. And even if they don't have the answer, they understand what you're going through. And that's, that is so, you know, bolstering in and of itself. Up next, what Candace hopes readers will learn from her new book, Sweet Success. Candace, you have had so much experience as an entrepreneurista over the years. You have now even started another business and you recently released your book, Sweet Success. What made you decide to write a book and tell us a, tell us a little bit about it? Well, I haven't gone much into the journey of scaling sprinkles once we opened, but eight years after that first location, my husband and I made the decision to step away operationally from sprinkles and get a significant stake in the business from private equity. We needed to diversify our holdings. We weren't sure we were the ones to continue to expand it. it was then at 11 locations and you know, the sky was the limit and we didn't want to limit the growth of the company. And then some other personal reasons, just I'd become a mom to two boys and they were now starting school. And I just, you know, expanding a brick and mortar business across the country was exhausting. And we had been at it drinking from a fire hose for, for almost a decade. So for all of those reasons and more, we took a step back from Sprinkles. And it was a bit unmooring to me for a lot of reasons. I was obviously very identified with the business. I was completely wrapped up in the business. But again, it was what I wanted and I worked through it and it was a journey. But during that time, I got a lot of requests from women who had started businesses, were hoping to start a business for mentorship. And I also started investing, angel investing in female founded and underrepresented founded businesses and really loved that. I loved pouring all of my lessons learned back into, you know, the next generation that was coming up. And, but I realized I only had so many hours in the day as we all do. And so I wanted to share my lessons on a larger scale, help women, you know, in a bigger way. And so that led me to write Sweet Success. The timing couldn't have been more perfect. It was during the pandemic when the calendar was a little quieter than normal. And I'm such a go, go, go person. I rarely sit down and think about what I've done in the past, what I've done well in particular, and mostly just focus on what I did wrong. So I loved sitting down. It was almost therapeutic for me to really think through the wild journey that I had been on and been through and what I'd created and just really distill the lessons from that important period of time in my life. And so this is part memoir, but it really is a actionable sort of toolbox per se. It's a roadmap for other people who are entrepreneur curious or who are new startup founders or have a small business and they just need to push along the way. Ultimately, my goal in writing Sweet Success is to help more women out there dream really big dreams and learn to bet on themselves. Well, I love the name and thank you again for sending us the book. It's definitely on my to-do list to read. And I'd love to know, how long did it take you to write the book? And do you have a favorite chapter? 
it took about a year to write the book. And it's so funny. I have, I have written a book before this, but very different. It was a cookbook, the sprinkles baking book, which was a New York times bestseller and a lot of fun, but the emphasis being on the recipes, the recipe testing. I did a fun, you know, photo shoot where I got all styled up very different than the, you know, number of hours I spent hunched over a laptop, you know, recounting my story. But the same in the sense that at the beginning of each of those projects, I said, I don't have anything to write. What am I going to write about? They told me the word count and I was like, good God, I'll never get there. And when I tell you at the end, which I went way over the word count, I think my editor was like, oh, are you, let's take another path here. <laughs> but I couldn't edit it, anything out. Everything was important. And I realized I had so much to say. And I think that was part of the process that really surprised me the most is just that I think I have another book in me. Tell us, do you know what your next book is going to be about? Are you going to go the business route again? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I really... Okay, so I'll answer your question about favorite chapter. At the end, I talk about embracing the and. And basically what I mean by that is that we're all multifaceted beings. And one of the things that, as I said, I was so wrapped up, my identity was so wrapped up in sprinkles that I hard, had a hard mm -hmm. time unraveling myself. And I also felt like I needed permission to step into these other parts of me that were alive and well. You know, people were used to seeing me show up on Cupcake Wars as a judge or in my cookbook or on social media as a baking influencer and a recipe developer. And I thought to myself, I've been a business person all along, but I didn't feel confident stepping into those shoes in a public way. And it took some time. And so the Embrace the And chapter is really sort of a love letter to all of us as women, because we are so multifaceted and we're more than one thing and we need to embrace it. You know, we're moms, we're business owners, we're creatives, we're everything. And to really not feel like you need anyone's permission to show up in any of those roles. Did you ever work with a business coach or someone to help you figure all of these things out? Because I know when you just shared, you know, it took time to get mm -hmm. to this place. Like, what did you work on or what did you do that helped you get to this place that you realized mm -hmm. this? I did work with someone for a while who is amazing, who is so amazing. And it makes me almost tear up thinking about the work that we did together. She knew that I had sort of an aversion to the word therapy no judgment. I just had had a bad experience with therapy and that like went one time and that was it done, forgotten. And so she said, Candace, no, no, it's not therapy. I'm going to coach you. Okay. Mm. We laugh about it now. It was full blown therapy, but she knew exactly <laughs> what to say. And essentially what she helped me understand is that I was not my business. I am not my book. I am not my accomplishments and I am not my failures. And that was so freeing for me. It seems simple in retrospect, but it's not. And so, yes, I did work with someone. And I, I am a person of like, who's constantly learning. You know, I tell a story in my book where we were, it was early days in Sprinkles. We had a line down the block. We were by anyone's measure, so successful. And my husband walked in and I was reading this self-help book. And the, like the subtitle was how to be successful or something like that. And my husband just started laughing. He's like, 
why are you reading that? And so I just feel like you never arrive at that, right? And mm. part of the fun is that journey, that growth, like stretching yourself and and always feeling like you have more to learn, which we all do. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I feel the same way about therapy and always love business coaches and appreciate their insights because I think regardless of what business I'm in, I think just being a business-minded person is so part of who who I am. And I know you eventually evolved the company, sold it to private equity, and then started new ventures. How did you decide after you sold Sprinkles what to do next? So just to be clear, we sold a, a majority stake in the business, but we do still have a piece of Sprinkles, and I'm just not operationally involved. So how did I decide what to do next? This is a little bit of learnings for any of you out there who are thinking about a liquidity event. Have a plan in place. Have a plan in place for what you're going to do literally the day after you sign the papers. Because I just was so focused on that goal of building and scaling and then selling, we'll use that word, that once I'd achieved it, I was a little bit lost and I didn't have something right off the bat to immediately channel my energies into. Now, mm. yes, my family, of course, and that was a lot of the impetus for for stepping away from sprinkles. But all of us entrepreneurs know that that little bug never goes away, right? And so the fact that I didn't have that like just meaty business project to kind of sink my teeth into made me a little sad. And it wasn't until I met our now chef and um, partner, Daniele Uditi, who is the head chef at Pizzano, which is my new pizza concept and venture. It wasn't until I met him that I found myself saying, I want to go right back in to what I left. I want to take another stab at the food business. I mean, this time savory, of course, but <laughs> I really missed it. I missed it. How long was it in between the sale and starting Pizzana? Oh, dear. I'm terrible with timelines, as you know, because I didn't even know what day of the week it was. Let me think. It was two, two. I mean, it was probably two years, two or three. And it took a while to, you know, between that first bite of Danielle's pizza and then, you know, assembling and creating the brand around and the concept around his product finding the location, doing the reno. So probably about two years. And you're now expanding that business as well. Are there learnings that you've been able to take from your sprinkles days that you've been able to implement in this business? Oh, yes. So many. I think first and foremost is the power of brand. Sprinkles was essentially an indefensible business. Anyone can make a cupcake. Anyone can start a bakery. So what made Sprinkles special? It was the brand. Yes, we had a little bit of intellectual property, which was meaningful. This modern dot we trademarked, which was really important because as soon as we opened and had success, there was so much competition and a lot of imitation that followed. And we were kind of put in this defensive mode, right? We had to send some cease and desist letters. It wasn't fun. It was expensive. It was embarrassing, you know, when the LA Times splashes you across their front page of their business section saying litigious cupcake business. And you literally are a mom and you are the very definition of a mom and pop with two locations. And all of a sudden you're being painted as the big bad guy. Wow. So 
brand was critical for us just in terms of differentiating ourselves from the competition in terms of creating value that we were ultimately paid for in a liquidity event. And also it saved us because 2008, we were in the midst of opening our largest store in Palo Alto at the um, Stanford Shopping Center. And I started seeing all the news on TV about people losing their homes and the market crashing and, you know, banks failing that you never would have imagined. And I just looked at Charles and I was like, we had a line out the door, but this was just starting. And I just could see, I was like, we're dead. We're dead. We sell upscale cupcakes. There is nothing more disposable out of your budget than a $3.50 cupcake. And this has been fun, but we're dead. And what ended up happening was the most unbelievable thing, which was we had created such a special brand that resonated with people so much that they didn't let it up. And we ended up scaling the majority of our business through the Great Recession. We were that escape. We were that little bit of joy that was aspirational and yet still somehow within reach. And so in creating Pizzana, brand has been paramount. And it's about your why. It's about how you show up every day. It does extend to your brand identity. But I'd say that's the number one lesson. No, that's such a great tip. And I realized we forgot to talk about your branded sprinkles cupcake ATM, which was such a huge, you know, I feel like press driver. I remember hearing all about it and rushing over to in New York City to to go try it out. What was the idea behind that? How did it come to be? Well, we're known for cupcakes, but Charles and I have always considered ourselves innovators. You know, there hadn't been much innovation in the bakery business prior to Sprinkles. And we showed up and we did something different and we kind of created a lot of noise, but also, as I said, created a lot of competition. And so to be the first mover and the original Cupcakes Only Bakery doesn't mean very much when there are now cupcake shops on every corner. And so what we realized we needed to do was lean into innovation yet again. And it actually, for me, I believe innovation boils down to a mindset. It's what I call what if thinking. And basically it was late at night. I had a hankering for a cupcake because I was pregnant with my second son and there were no cupcakes in the house and their bakery was closed and I was having a hormonal moment. And I said, this is ridiculous because I need a dark chocolate cupcake right now. And I can't get my hands on a cupcake and I own a cupcake shop. This, what are we going to do about this? And so I thought, what if, instead of just sort of like dismissing it as a crazy idea and going to sleep, which I, you know, most people probably would have done. It was late, but <laughs> I said, what if you could get a cupcake anytime, day or night? And sort of played with that idea. And my husband and I just started brainstorming it. And that that's how the cupcake ATM came to be. But, you know, those crazy what if brainstorms, and I always tell him, like, he, he's, he had to learn how to brainstorm because he would always be like, oh, that's a terrible idea. I'm like, you don't know how brainstorming works. <laughs> there are no bad ideas. Yes. The bad Put ideas them all down. <laughs> just morph into great ideas, right? And the moment before something's a breakthrough, it's a crazy idea. So embrace the what if thinking, look around, lean into frustrations. I was frustrated. Lean into problems. Have fun. Don't forget the joy. You know, particularly right now in a very scary economy. Like people are looking for joy and nostalgia. So the more that you can play on that in your business with your team, like people are craving it. 
Such great advice. Thank you for sharing that. Can you tell us the logistics behind the Cupcake ATM? Initially, our Cupcake ATM was part of our bakery. That first Cupcake ATM, the back of it opened onto the back of our bakery so we could constantly be replenishing it. Now there are some standalones and you'll you'll start to see them in airports. I get, I see, you know, travelers on Instagram all the time DMing me with pictures of getting a cupcake at the Austin airport or the Las Vegas airport. But we stock them, you know, fresh once or twice a day, sometimes, you know, depending on on how often they're running out, more than that. But these ATMs can hold up to 600 cupcakes. And we're definitely on a later version of the cupcake ATM, the original technology, although it was always touchscreen and you ran a credit card and the, the suction would bring you your cupcake in a little box, only would do one cupcake at a time. Now you can get like up to four at a time. Now, you know, the parts aren't burning out. In those early days, that technology was not robust enough for all of the action it was getting, basically. We had an IT guy, our IT guy, Vineet, like he still works with us. He's been with us for, I don't know, what is that? Almost 20 years now. And he would sit behind there and basically replace the parts on the fly because we had such a line, we could not let it go down. (laughs) It was such a phenomenon. Media were showing up every day and yet the parts were burning out. So talk about doing whatever it takes. We love Vineet. He's an incredible member of our team and and he would not let that ATM go down. But now that is not a concern. Coming up, the importance of having a plan when exiting a business. Candace, this is one of our favorite segments. We are going to ask you a few rapid fire questions that you probably weren't prepared for, but I know you're going to know the answers in your heart. So the first word or words that comes to your mind, are you ready? Uh-oh. All right. How would your friends describe you in three words? Optimistic, kind, determined. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Oh my God, look at me. I'm like slurping down coffee and it's the middle of the afternoon. (laughs) All right. Very important question. Favorite cupcake flavor? I'm a total chocoholic. Dark chocolate cupcakes got me through both of my pregnancies. So, you know, I'll take a little spin on chocolate from time to time, like our s'more cupcake or I don't know, our black and white, but dark chocolate for me is, is tops. Favorite app on your phone that you can't live without? I can't believe I'm saying this, but TikTok. Wow. We'll have to talk more about that in a minute. What is your favorite business tool that you've used that has helped you to grow your businesses? I mean, probably our POS system. Is that really boring answer or resi? I mean, resi is amazing for filling our dining room with reservations. For me personally, for organization and productivity, I really like the Notion app. I'm very ADHD. And so there's something about the way Notion works and links through to everything, including podcasts I want to listen to and articles I want to read later that I really love. Notion keeps coming up and that is a tool that I have not used yet. And our past few guests have been mentioning Notion. So I think it's time to court. We got to look into Notion. <laughs> Check it out. I'd love to know what you think. I mean, I'm sure there are other apps like it, but I I haven't found one this good. I did look into it. I think it was maybe a year ago because someone else mentioned it as their favorite tool too, but I can't remember if I, what happened or maybe I didn't think it was a good tool for us. So I got to look into yeah. it again. 
And last question is, what is your hidden talent? I'm kind of a good dancer. Ooh. I've got good That's a good one. I'm tall, so I'm tall and I'm like not flexible at all. So people don't expect it. But then when I hit the dance floor, they're like, yeah, girl, you've got moves. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. All right. Those were all of our rapid fire questions. We're going to go back to our regularly scheduled programming now. I would love to know, you know, you have grown multiple businesses now. You're also a mom. How have you been able to balance or integrate everything that you love into your life? Any tips that you can share with many of our mama pernistas, as we say, who are growing businesses and families? It's challenging, first off, and the struggle is real because when you are birthing a vision to life, you know, that hasn't been done before, that takes a Herculean amount of effort and hours. And you can't be all things to all people. I know that probably makes me unpopular to, to, you know, say that, but I just, for me, it's true. So I like to look at balance as more over a period of time and sort of see the different periods of time in my life as seasons, right? Mm -hmm. Or sort of if I'm feeling disconnected from my children because I'm, you know, working on a book or I'm opening a restaurant, I try to think of that as like, oh, this is just a project, right? This is my project that I have to get done. And then I'll, I'll get it back in spades. I'll have my time. And that's what entrepreneurship gives you is that flexibility to kind of pour back Mm -hmm. into whatever you've been missing when you're through those harder times. But if you are creating something from nothing, it's not a normal day at work. It's just not. And the thing that I've been able to really celebrate as my kids have gotten a little older is including them in my business. My husband and I will talk about things that we're grappling with at the restaurant, at the dinner table. We'll ask them about things that they failed at today. Like how did they stretch themselves? How did they grow? Were there any problems they solved? So sort of infusing these concepts and principles of entrepreneurship into their day-to-day learning and remembering that I am modeling something really important for them. Mm. And also prioritizing sleep. Prioritizing sleep the world seems insurmountable when you are tired, right? I mean, nothing is doable. You want to give up. You want to just throw your hands in the air. And sometimes when I'm in those moments of sort of despair, I'll kind of check in with myself and be like, have I been sleeping recently? And typically the answer is not that well. That is How so much true. sleep do you need? I need a lot of sleep. I need a lot of sleep. I need for sure seven hours, but like really ideally eight. I'm the same. And it's a challenge because my I... husband doesn't need as much sleep. So we're always, that's like probably the only thing we fight about pretty much at this point. It's like, when are you coming to bed? I know I have to like force myself to put my phone down at night because you know, it's, you get sucked into Instagram or TikTok and looking at all these things before bed when you think you actually have time and then you've lost an hour that you could have used to get that extra hour of sleep to help you function the next day. So I'm in agreement with you. Sleep is just so, so important. And and it's a great thing to prioritize. I imagine you are because you're a pro and this is both of your world, but you're wearing those blue light glasses, right? Because sometimes I'll forget and I'll do that little, you know, scrolling session before bed. And even though I'm going to bed at a decent time, there's something that's been activated that's like, I'm charged up and I can't sleep. And I think it's the blue light. 
It is. My husband always reminds me. He's like, you have to put down your phone. Stop. He's like, yeah. you, can, you can look at it in the morning. So it's, you know, it's not easy. But like you said, sleep as an entrepreneurista is, and for anyone, is very important. Mm-hmm. Helps you uh, think better, think critically, and just feel good. I yeah. And I, I realize that not everyone needs as much sleep. So maybe that's not ringing true to everyone, but but I will say that they're learning so much more about sleep just in terms of longevity and health. So even mm-hmm. if you don't feel like you need it, you still do. Absolutely. Is there a quote or mantra that you live your life by? If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. It's like, sometimes so I'm like, true. why is this so hard? And then I think, because I've chosen to do something hard. Mm-hmm. This is normal. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's definitely a good quote because sometimes I think, especially after you've been in the entrepreneur world for a while now, some things start to become easier. It does become easier a little bit over time. It's very, very hard. But um, but yeah, you forget, especially as you're hiring, like, ah, oh, why don't they know how to do this? And it's because it took 10 years for us to learn how to do this, that it's not that easy as it as it seems, because we've been doing it every day for 10 years. Someone needs to invent a technology where people can read your mind so that we, I just assume people can do that and they can't. Yeah, really I do too. Like, why can't you do this? I, I haven't told them what to do and they don't do it right. It's, I'm just very miffed by that. Totally. Uh, Candace, we could sit and chat for hours and we'll definitely be seeing more of you. And we haven't even announced this yet, but you are going to be one of our judges in our Entrepreneurista 100 Awards that is going to be launching very soon. And we're so excited to have you as part of that. I'm so excited and I'm honored. So thank you. No, so, so excited. So, so excited. Final question for today. What does being an Entrepreneurista mean to you? It means having the courage to pursue your dreams. Simple as that. It absolutely does. And you are definitely a testament to it and an incredible entrepreneurista that we are so thrilled that we had the opportunity to spend the past 45 minutes with you, getting to know you and hearing all about your business journey and the incredible lessons that you have shared. So thank you so, so much, Candice, for spending the time with us. Where can everyone find you, follow you on social? And of course, I know all of our listeners are now going to be excited to go out and buy Sweet Success. Where can they go buy it? Yes. Thank you for that shout out. Sweet Success is available as of November 8th on Amazon at hopefully all of your independent bookstores. Definitely ask for it if it's not. Barnes and Noble, all of the places. And I did an audible book. So it's my voice. I sat in a little you know, closet of a room for two days and read my own book, which was a fun experience. And then in terms of finding me, I am on Instagram and TikTok. Don't laugh. Don't laugh at the TikTok. I'm trying. Simon, beginner's mindset, growth mode. At Candace Nelson, and that's C-A-N-D-A-C-E-N-E-L-S-O-N. And then if you're interested in trying our incredible pizza, we are now shipping nationwide via Gold Belly. And the name of our restaurant is Pizzana. It's neo-Neapolitan pizza. It's rooted in that great tradition of Neapolitan pizza, but with an um, updated modern spin and some great innovative flavors like the cacio e pepe. And gluten-free, too. 
Well, I am now starving after talking about pizza and cupcakes for the past hour. So I will be going to order that pizza on Gold Valley. I definitely want to try it and excited for you to hopefully come to Florida at some point too. We will be linking out to all of these links in the show notes below. So if you didn't catch them, you can check out Candace's Instagram, TikTok, links out to Gold Valley, as well as her book, Sweet Success. Candace, thank you again for being here. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Mm -hmm.